Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. The best piece of advice I ever, ever got was shut the fuck up and listen. That was the best advice I got. Being comics, we talk for a living and we're always running our mouth. But you will learn more if you just shut up, listen, and you will learn so much. Because obviously, if you're in a uh, circle with some OGs there, you definitely don't know as much as they are. And even if you disagree or think, you don't always have to verbalize that. So the best, and, and it was hard for me. And I, did, I didn't do it right at first. But, you know, shut the fuck up and listen. The best advice that I... I, I got and that I can give. Hot breath. Hot breath averse. Welcome back to the Hot Breath Podcast, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. Today we have a returning guest to help answer all of your comedy questions. She was a guest way back in Hot Breath episode number 177. And now she is back today with our live comic QA series. Welcome back to the Hot Breath of Verse, the one and only Lunell, everyone. Give it up for Lunell. What, what episode what episode is this? We're in the two hundreds now. Since quarantine we stopped counting and we've just been doing live Q and A's. So we're in the two hundreds okay. though. Okay, well thank you for having me back. Thanks for doing this. You know, one of your first episode with us was so well received because you were so focused on like comics appreciating the craft appreciating like the actual art behind stand-up and not just trying to rely on like quick success but to really appreciate the craft and that really stuck with a lot of people oh i'm glad to hear that now just just thinking off the top with um what's currently happening it seems like um comics are all we're all trying to figure out like what to do right now in terms of like how we can stay connected with our fans or how we can even just stay afloat for a lot of comics. Um, what have, what have you been doing in this time to really try to maximize without just, just sulking, I guess of what we don't have, but focusing on what you do have. Well, I have taken this time to get some well needed rest that I did not have doing six shows a week for years and years and years in a row. I also have been trying to, uh, with the wake of the corona, um, you know, do more vitamins and do better than we do on the road, eating in the airport, eating on the plane, eating in the car, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I've had a chance to do that. I've also, of course, like most people, been getting some things done around the house than you've wanted done for years that were not able to be done because only home two days a week and all that kind of stuff. And I also have just um, been able to catch my breath. You know, it's mm -hmm. very difficult being a mother and being on the road and it's definitely taken its toll on my relationship with my daughter and things like that. So I've been trying to deal with some of that and just being a little more appreciative of my home because you can have a home, but if you're never home to enjoy it, 
you know, you you just have a place to change your clothes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been doing that, some of that. So, mm-hmm. How many years would you say you've been doing six shows a week? That sounds insane. <laughs> oh, probably uh, for the last, like, maybe five years. Yeah, and you you were having a Vegas residency recently too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was doing shows before the six shows a week, but once I got with you know this great agency, and they're like, "If you want to work, we'll work you," and then there you go, and you start trying to stack your money, which you know I'm no I'm no Eddie Murphy or Wanda Sykes, but I've been able to because of my hard work, been able to sit here for a couple of months and not be thrown out on the street. I don't know how many more months I'll be able to do that, but, um, you know, I figure if it gets really tight, I, I can always get a fans only page or yeah. busting open on a coin hub or something like that. There'll be a couple of takers. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been on the road. Like I forgot the question, but I think for, for the last five years, doing six shows a week, the residency in Las Vegas was, gratefully at the Jimmy Kimmel comedy club, which is in the promenade by, by the link hotel. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes that so great. Cause I had a little mini residency or run at the SLS hotel and casino prior to the Jimmy Kimmel uh, residency. And the one at the SLS, it, they had uh, Eddie Griffin on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They had Monique on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I did Sunday at seven at Kimmel's. I only do Sunday nights at 10 o'clock. It's a little way, you know, more adult type show because it doesn't start till 10 and it's on a Sunday. Obviously every time Dick and Harry can't come because they have to be at work on Monday. And some people leave Vegas on Sunday, but there's people who have Monday and Tuesdays off in their job and they're coming in and they want to get it in too. So also the fact that Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club is the only comedy club with the national television show connected to it. So I was able to do his television show and have some really great pictures and had a wonderful experience doing that. So um, out of all the comics in the world that they could let have that slot for me to have it as unconventional as I am uh, is really a pleasure. But it's not really about being conventional. It's about putting asses in the seats. That's all they care about. Mm. And they put their money into printing your face on every magazine and Caesars Corporation and making an LED sign with your face on it, you better put some asses in those seats and you better be consistent because nobody mm. wants to pay you for your bad day, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems your career has really taken off since you did Hot Breath last, so congratulations <laughs> on that. Yeah, thank you. What would I do without you? Where would I be? Who would I be? <laughs> and, and I saw you had, you were working with um, Eddie Murphy on a new movie what, what was that like working with Eddie Murphy well there's two movies there's one that's on Netflix right now called Dolomite Is My Name mm-hmm. about the late Rudy Ray Moore who everybody didn't know and um, now they have an opportunity to and uh, quickly after that I was um, asked to be in asked to be in uh or actually i was just cast in. i wasn't even asked there's no question but to do the uh coming to america sequel coming to america the quest 
And um, with the fact that every actor in Hollywood wants to be in that movie, uh, Hollywood and beyond, Mars mm -hmm. and the universe, um, I'm very pleased to be in two Eddie Murphy movies back to back. Um, I got in that movie because of the relationship with Craig Brewer and I guess Eddie as well. Craig Brewer is the director of Dolomite Is My Name. He also did Hustle and Flow and um, has, uh, doing come, did coming to America the quest so I auditioned seven times I had seven callbacks for Dolomite is my name so needless to say Craig and I got to know each other very very well during those uh you know it was like the old school screen test and everything with the, the wigs and the clothes and I felt very Hollywood but um when this came along and I asked Craig how did I get so lucky to end up in here he was like, well, now I know what you can do. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed you. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to put you in here, which is a lesson to, you know, young comics or even some old ones. And the lesson is don't be a dick because mm. nobody wants to work with a dick. But if you're nice and you're pleasant and you're on time and you know your lines and you speak to the caterers and you're nice to everybody and people are happy to see your name on the call sheet, you can probably work for those people again. But if you come in there on some diva shit, you know, that that word gets around, too. So, yeah. yeah. And you've worked with, I mean, you worked Adam Sandler, Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, my, I mean, every. Sa Sandra Bullock, DMX, every, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Beyonce. Yeah. So, like, what, um. Are you people at that level of like success? Like, are you, is there like a commonality you're seeing between these people that that maybe it could rub off onto us that are watching this? No, <laughs> because everybody, no, I, I don't because everybody is different. I will say uh -huh. that, uh, well, maybe, I mean, I will say that like Sandra Bullock, Bradley Cooper, Gaga, Beyonce, um, Mike Myers, Anthony LaPaglia, Sean, they, they have one, the one common thread is that they're very nice. They're very mm. amenable. They're nice to the actors. They're nice to the crew. They're not like, you know, Lee Daniels, who I heard is a fucking screaming lunatic. Uh, they're, they're, uh, 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 or working for Tarantino, who is in fact a screaming lunatic, but they get the job done. But they're, those people are very, very nice. And it makes you, like if you got any kind of daddy issues or whatever, it makes you really want to do your best because they were so nice. It makes you want to please them and get the um, get the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Get the um, not accolades and acceptance, get the approval mm -hmm. of these people. And I think that's what comics want any damn way is approval and love. I think that's one of the reasons that we do it. It's one of the reasons I do. Yeah. And what was it like, Eddie Murphy? Did you have any memorable stories of getting to work with him? Oh, for sure! Oh, for sure! Ooh, let me see if I can tell any. Well, <laughs> um, well, first of all, in Dolomite is my name. I actually auditioned for. Have you seen the movie? I haven't. No. Wow. I'm tripping. Yeah. I sort of want to hang up right now. I don't really watch Netflix, though, to be honest. So I'm yeah, I'm, but we're talking about Eddie Murphy. You you are right. You're right. Yes.
Jesus Christ. <laughs> How you even speak his name and you're not up on his last two movies after a comeback after not being on fucking film for like 20 fucking years. Uh, now I just Christ look like I'm trying to appropriate yourself. his name. Now it's just like white boy just saying Eddie Murphy's name just for the come up. A white boy <laughs> turning red as a strawberry. Too. Okay. Um, well, in the movie Dolomite is my name. I actually auditioned seven times for the part of Queen B, uh, Lady Reed, who was his, who was Dolomite's like homegirl, best friend cohort, you know? But I didn't get that part. They gave that part to an actress by the name of Divine Joy Randolph, who I really, really appreciate. And I'm glad she got that part because I got to play the part of Eddie's aunt, of well, Rudy's aunt, who gave him the seed money to start his um, own uh, record company, so to speak. And that meant that the scene was just Eddie and I. It wasn't in a group. I didn't have other actors. It was just Eddie and I at the kitchen table and he hugged on me and jumped on me and kissed on me and stuff like that after I gave him the money or, or after he thought he convinced me to give the money. And so that was very memorable, memorable because who doesn't want that? Now I want to preface all this by saying, I did not meet Eddie on the set. I already knew Eddie Murphy. We already had taken pictures together. We'd already been in the club and parties together. Plus I was very good friends with his late brother, Charlie Murphy, and we had made a movie together and we had done some things. So Eddie was very familiar with who I was. I was very familiar with who Eddie was. Had I not been introduced to him many years prior, I might would have geeked totally the fuck out, fucked up my lines, lost it, sweated, farted, everything like that. But I didn't do that because I already knew him. I was just very honored to be working with him because after seeing Boomerang and after seeing uh, Norbert and after seeing uh, uh, Harlem Nights and everything you don't dream in your wildest dreams that you'll ever really be working with Eddie and that you'll go down in history on film with him and not one but two movies so you know I was very glad that it worked out the way that it did you know yeah that's just one story I got some other shit that is so crazy I can't even really tell you but yes I've got stories with Eddie for sure wait stories on set or this happened off the set on set and off. <laughs> oh, oh, that's fun. Well, I, I, uh, yeah. I shot a pilot back in the day when uh, Charlie Murphy was on the show, and he just he would have a story f like he was just like the best storyteller I've ever met. It was just incredible. I mean, that's why uh, <laughs> Charlie Murphy True Hollywood Stories on mm -hmm. the Chappelle Show was so popular because Charlie could tell these damn stories, Joe. And whew, just the way he told him, just be like, oh, my God, Charlie, please stop. Like, stop. So, yeah, I really miss him. He was yeah. a great guy. Yeah. They would come out of nowhere. Like, he could segue into, like, a five-minute story off you sneezing or something. He's like, that Absolutely. reminds me. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's so cool. Um. So let's uh, let's get into some of these young comic questions as well. Okay. Uh, and um, oh, I meant to ask you: Did you watch the the new Dave Chappelle special yet? I'm black. 
Uh, I didn't know. I, I I figured it was required viewing, but I you probably got the email. You probably have seen that years ago. That probably you guys got the early release of it. <laughs> yeah, if you're black, you sent out a memo to all of us that he was writing it first. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. What uh, what was your what was your uh, take on it? How'd you like what? Yeah, it's just it just blew my mind. Well, um, I have a whole scenario. I've turned that whole thing into a bit. So, you know, about how his community must have been so excited to go see Dave in the park, you know, so tired of all this Black Lives Matter. This is great. We'll go see Dave in the park. Bob, grab a bottle of Chardonnay. Let's go see Dave, our neighbor Dave. And then everybody got bit slapped. You could have heard a rat piss on cotton out there. It wasn't fucking funny. It was facts and it was. You know, now I'm not a big fan of the N-word, you know, but that's Dave, but I don't use it in my show unless I'm with my people. I don't use it in mixed company because I don't want anybody to get the idea that it's cool or any shit like that. So I don't use it and I, you know, um, uh, don't let anybody who's opening or featuring for me use it. If they do, then they're fired off my show. Mm. And that's it's not even negotiable. But for Dave, I mean, people know who they was going to see, just like they knew who they was going to see when they go see Richard Pryor, or they knew who they was going to go see when they went to go see Dick Gregory or, or, or anything like that. So they knew who they went to see. So, you know, that's not my flavor, but it, it certainly was impactful, I'll tell you. Yeah, captivating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word. Yeah, maybe that is the word. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord yeah. have mercy. I, I, I'm sorry. Can the people see us? Yeah, they can definitely see us. Yep. Oh, let me also uh, uh, apologize for my appearance. Normally, I'm much more glamorous than this with lashes and the whole thing. But I I just literally, I just didn't fucking feel like it this morning, you know? Mm -hmm. I have on a little lip gloss. I got a little product in my little curly hair. And that's the best I could do. So for anybody who wants to have a snarky comment about me looking like a turtle or anything like that, Fuck you. I didn't fucking feel like it. So that's it. You look beautiful, Lunel. I know, right? And and no one's yeah, <laughs> this 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 community is not about roasting or making people feel bad. This is all about supporting and oh, uplifting. If you have uplifting. any if you have anybody in here under 25 years old, they are absolutely about <laughs> that. You may not see it, but I know better. <laughs> so they forget about anything you're saying cuz they say she looks like, you know, Ninja Turtle. She looks like Miss Potato Head. And, and, and that will be the conversation for the next, like, five, you know, posts and stuff like that. I know these little bastards. I know what they do. <laughs> well, yeah, you're going heavy on YouTube now. The YouTube comments are insane. But it, that seems to be, like, your new strategy for quarantine is, like, you're really doubling down on YouTube. You know, I didn't even consider it until my friend, Flame Monroe, who's a um, transgender uh, comic. Flame was like, girl, you know, you got to be doing YouTube because you got enough people on your Instagram. Blah, 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 blah. And so, and Flame's my friend, been my friend for 20 years. And so I, I said, uh, I always teach Flame to say, you're, you're, you're a lady with the biggest dick I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, um, um, uh, so when Flame, <laughs> Flame suggested to me that I do a YouTube show, I said, well, I could try, you know, 
I started off on the couch and then we went to the dining room and we had my little set and everything like this. Then the next week we got a mixing board and the next week we got a microphone and the next week we got theme music and the week after that we had playlist and da 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 and we started doing mini shows instead of fill episodes that we throw in there to keep you teased so you don't have to wait from Wednesday to Wednesday. Then we got monetized and we got commercials. So you know, I'm hoping that you know, I wasn't going in this with any high hopes, but I'm hoping that I could be a big star like you one day and get my own show show or, you know, maybe go to HBO and Netflix or something like that. Cause I certainly have uh, gotten like over 22,000 subscribers in the last like month. And that's only, you know, that's not even a third of the Instagram people that I have, but if everybody from my Instagram at Lunell at L U E N E L L would come over to my YouTube channel, Hey Lunell, H E Y L U E N E L L, could be greatly appreciated and I might get somebody's attention. But I'm enjoying doing it. Um, I get super glammed up. I even like take a bath and put on perfume, even though you can't smell it. But it just makes me feel like I'm going, you know, to the stage or whatever which I always, that's part of my ritual. And um, so uh, I've been having good success with it. And we go every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. California time. And this next week, we're going to do that show and do our first uh, Club Quarantine VIP Lounge Backyard Boogie, meaning that we're going to do another show at nighttime from 7 to 9 with special guests like Miguel Nunez and Laura Hayes and Red Grant and stuff like that. Mm. And we're going to do it outside in the backyard and I'm have drinks and edibles and um, a DJ. And it's going to be only like seven or 10 of us. That sounds fun. Yeah. We're all getting creative out here. You want to come, don't you? I know you want to come. You can invite me. I'll probably I'll scare people. They'll think I'm 12 or something. Well, the, that the could age be a and turn the police. on for some people. <laughs> that could be a turn on. <laughs> <laughs> did you see, you know, did you see Epstein's, uh, thing yeah well that could be oh you oh. didn't see epstein's document called no. filthy rich filthy rich okay well no i didn't i, I heard of I it meant. i didn't see it yeah yeah so well that's what i'm saying could be a turnover somebody you look at 12 <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's get to a, a few young comic questions here let's it, go let's go it's um so one you were talking about traveling a lot so for uh comics do you have any travel tips Yeah, lots. Like, try to, even before the virus, I was like, try to take your own food as much as you can. Little sandwich, little bagel, little, you know, cheese and crackers, or even cup of noodle, you know, um, because uh, you never know when you're going to get delayed on a plane. And when you're delayed, they will not serve you. Always buy a bottle of water when you get through security. Always never get on a plane without snacks and water ever because mm. you never know when you might get delayed. And then also you'll have that in your hotel room late at night and snack when there's no room service or you don't feel like going downstairs and you always have a little snack. Apples, oranges, things like that are always good to travel with, I think. Awesome. All right. And that was Michelle, by the way, Michelle Van Dusen. So thanks for asking, Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Oh. <laughs> It's uh, Bob Jorgensen asks, could you describe for us your writing process? 
Well, I'm weird in as much as I really don't write because I'm not a scripted comic. I'm more off the cuff. I have what they call the gift. I can't I can't describe it any other way. I can write bullet points down and say, oh, I need to talk about this. Oh, I need to talk about that. Like, you know, I I I, I write, you know, I need to talk about Prince Harry and Meghan. Boom. I know what I want to say about that. I want to talk about Dave Chappelle's special. Boom. I know what I want to say about that. And I have the gift of gab. No two shows that I do are exactly the same. And I don't want to be, if I'm going to memorize the script, I'm going to get more money than I do to do stand-up. Mm. You know, that would be for a film or something like that. And um, I don't want to tax my brain because sometimes the scripted comic will be thrown off by a heckler or by something else. And then they got to try to get back where they were in their scripted mind. And it can be a shit show. So I just uh, I just write bullet points. I don't really write. Oh, nice. And it, do you record your set and then review it? Or do you all do you just remember it every time you go on stage type deal? No, I try not to listen to it, actually. <laughs> because, um, number one, I don't like my speaking voice. I always sound to me like I've got a glob of, you know, mashed potatoes in my throat or something. And then also, if I look and see what I did, which may have been outrageous, I might get embarrassed and not do it again. And I think the magic of my show is that you never know what the hell I'm going to do or say. And I don't want to get like, oh, I don't want to do that again. Look what I looked. Oh my God, they could see my stomach go out of it. I don't want to do that. So I don't, I, I really, unless it's for a special or something, I really, really look at my shit again. Hmm. All right. Coming up next, John Chappelle. He asks, uh, what are the experiences from the first five to 10 years of your career that were most memorable and you feel impacted your path to where you are today? Well, I think within the first, I think within the first 10 years of my career, black people got to be on national television more doing comedy because within the first 10 years of my career, uh, Comic View and Def Jam were created. And that brought you out of the clubs and on television, which would get you more dates and more money in the clubs because you've now been on television, make you a celebrity. So I think it would have to be going mainstream on television. Mm. And were there any early like doubts or like hurdles you had to overcome just from like, Oh, the ups and downs of being a comedian. Well, of course, because before I'm a comedian, I'm a mother and I worked on, I was, I was in makeup when I went into labor, I worked every day up until the day I had my child and I was in clubs and everything like that. I wasn't traveling as much but I was locally like the it girl. I was doing like four or five clubs a week in Oakland, California. And then once I had my child, um, you know, uh, I still was working uh, in, in, in Oakland, in the Bay Area. And sometimes I would have to take my baby with me in the car seat and have her on stage. Sometimes I would have to burp her on stage with the baby on my shoulder and the microphone and this other hand. My daughter's father was a comedian as well at that time. He, he's retired now. Comedians don't really retire. They die. Mm. But he retired because he sort of 
he didn't he didn't move with the times with his material and it started to fade out and so he just got a regular job and was taking help take care of the kids so sometimes i would have to have her on my shoulder and pass her out to him he would come to the club pick her up you know um it was very hard to fly away and leave your child if they have the whooping cough or something like that especially being the mother you want to make sure they got rubbed on with this you want to make sure the covers are on them and it's been very, it's been very very difficult and very very stressful i'm proud to say now uh that my daughter's 24 years old very independent and just gave me a whole bunch of shit yesterday about not being around when she was growing up. So they're gonna grow up and throw it back in your fucking face when they get older, as much as you try to do the right thing, you know? So that's always hard for a mother, a woman, a mother or a wife in this business. Mm. All right, that's good advice. Oh, and that uh, a comic actually asked, uh, Cedric Drake, I think he's from the Bay Area. He asked uh, how much being from the Bay Area has shaped your comedy? Oh, being from the Bay Area has shaped everything in my life. First of all, um, especially now, while growing up in Oakland, I grew up during the Black Panther movement. And so I'm very, you know, much the activist in my heart, very uh, aware of my surroundings. I grew up in Oakland, but I was educated in the suburbs in Castro Valley, California. And then I moved back to Oakland. Castro Valley is a 99% white community. My parents were doing pretty good. My mother was a nurse. My father was a supervisor. And they had our house built. Well, the white folks out there resented that. And we got egg and tomatoes and all this kind of stuff. And petitions and blah, 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 blah. So also being from the Bay Area, I had a opportunity to be on television every day before I really left Oakland. And there was a, sta- a station, an all uh, black owned and operated station, just like BET was. Um, it was called Soul Beat Television Network. And I was a VJ and I was a talk show host and I was a you know, cook and da, 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 da. And I used to bring my kid on TV with me, you know, cause she was small still as well. And I had different hours and everything. So I would do the club maybe from nine to 11, go to the studio, do my television show from midnight to 4 a.m., sleep at the studio uh, because a lady had quit and come back on the air from seven till 11 a.m. and then go home. Gosh. Yeah, uh, uh, every day I'm hustling. Yeah, I was about to say, you're straight up hustler. Yeah, I got it. I'm like a machine. I'm like a racehorse. I love it. You know? Oh my God! You know what they do to racehorses, though? <laughs> Turn them into glue. They, they shoot them. Put them out the pasture. That's very inspiring, though, just to like see someone at your success level, but knowing, hey, none of this is without hard work for several years. And then I want to talk about my success level. My success level is nothing. Like huh. I'm very popular, but I'm not rich. You know, Monique came out about that whole thing about black women not getting paid in uh, the business. And, you know, maybe her delivery rug of the people the wrong way. But it was, the facts that she was talking about are very, very true. You know, black female comics don't get sponsorships like male comics do. You know, Kevin Hart is, was selling Denali's. Hell, he needs a step stool to get in the bitch. But I'm a woman and I have kids and groceries. And I feel like I could sell a Denali as well as anybody. 
You know, you got Cedric hawking stuff. You got all these guys hawking things that you don't see any women with sponsorship deals. I've never had a show of my own. I've always been a guest on everybody else's show. Every time, and I've shot seven pilots. Chappelle shot 13 mm. before he got to Chappelle's show. So I've shot seven pilots of my own. It gets up here and then something happens. Gets up here and then somebody say no. Gets up here, you get a pandemic. Gets up here, you know, so I'm very much in the community. I don't live behind a gated community. You know, I live um, two blocks away from the marathon shop where Nipsey Hussle got murdered at. I, um, you know, in the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement in the Crenshaw district, you know, um, I uh, have nothing but African-Americans and uh, Latinos on my street. I think we got an Italian guy across the street, but I think he works for the mob. And then so um, I, uh, I know he's very, very secretive. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I've, I've done it. You know, I don't have to integrate myself into the suburb. I was raised in the suburb. I'm not a black girl who lived in the hood and made my way out. I'm a sister who was raised in the burbs and came back to the hood. And hood doesn't mean ghetto. Hood means neighborhood. So I live in a neighborhood of very, you know, diverse people. And, and, and I appreciate it because there is a freedom to being around minorities. And I'm going to tell you, people keep trying to move away, move away. I want to move up to the road. I want to get a house in the hills. Because you're trying to move away from minorities and you think you'll have a better life and you will have a more beautiful home and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Of course, now you've got the homeowners association tipping around your house telling you the fucking weeds are uh, eight inches too high. Or you got a neighbor who's calling the police on you because you're in your own million dollar backyard having fun at your own pool party, but they're disturbed by the music, which ain't rap music. It could be soul music, Motown music. Then, you know, down here, the, the, the Mexicans on the corner, they have a fiesta every motherfucking Friday. But if they're playing music, they're not banging, they're playing music, and I like Latin music. Why would I call the police on them? If I want to have a fish fry, or like I said, my backyard boogie that's only going to be two hours long uh, next Wednesday night, you know, I don't have to worry about the police coming here for, because somebody called them because I'm disturbing them. We're just very chill. We're very much mind our business, very much like, what's the big deal? We don't do that. It's, I don't know about these uptight white folks that always want to make their business to patrol motherfuckers, you know, and um, that I'm really having a problem with, really having a problem with. But when it comes to being uh, a black female comedian, I mean, is there, you've been doing comedy for 30 years. Is there like a resentment or do you see what needs to be changed or like how to change it? Like, well, as far as the, the uh, I don't think there's a resentment because, you know, I mean, I continue to work like people like to work with me. Yeah, I love to work. I love my job. I love to go on set. I, I've only ever wanted to be one thing. And that was an entertainer. I never had a plan B. I never, um, you know, thought about anything else. I had thought about being a teacher. And then I got a load of these fucking kids. And I was like, well, that's out. And, um, you know, I, I, I grew up watching, you know, Doris Day and Gene Kelly and that's entertainment and all that stuff and the glamour and you know the Supremes and all the foo-foo stuff and that just got in my blood and I said oh I want to do that that's what I want to do and I've never wanted to do anything else and I pursued that viciously and I have achieved that but as far as making big big money like you know let's take a star is born 
I'm in the movie A Star is Born. There's four comics in the movie A Star is Born. Dave Chappelle, Eddie Griffin, myself, and Andrew Dice Clay. Um, one of the biggest movies ever. Uh, I'm nominated for Academy Award. But hell, I'm not Gaga. I'm not Bradley. I wasn't the main person. I was just a regular hired actor. I didn't make scale, but I made a little bit above that. But you get paid once and you don't get paid no more until the residuals come around and you'll make that for the rest of your life. But as the movie dwindles in fame, the residuals get smaller, you see. And I have the, the blessing is I do get a lot of mailbox money because I've done so many films and television product, projects that every 90 days is like, check, 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 check. But those checks range from like $3,000, which I'm still getting for Borat, down to maybe 12 cents hmm. for something that I did like Nash Bridges or something like that. So, you know, and then if you don't work, you don't, there's no retirement plan for comics. There's no health plan for comics. If you don't go into acting, you can't, you know, you, it's, it's just, you know, you, you get to be in a union. Comics don't have a union. We're the only entertainers that don't have one. Even a clown has a union, but we don't have one. So if a, if a, if a, um, club owner does us wrong, we literally have to take it to the streets because there's nobody to go bitch to about it. There's nobody to protect you. And as a woman, it makes you very hard because you got to play with the big boys out here in these streets and you can't be no punk and you got to stand up for what you know is right and you got to demand your respect and demand this and that and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, Justin Williams that actually asked that. Like, if, if a booker or a promoter doesn't pay you what they said they're going to, like, how do you deal with that? Well, you have to find them and threaten them. That's what you do. Okay. Or, or, and you really, or, or you have to whip their ass or get that. That's what you do because there is nowhere to complain. Who are you going to talk to? The police? Give a fuck? Who, there's no, there's nobody to protect the comic. We're like dope dealers. We're like the last gangsters of entertainment. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it really is. Do I look like I'm naked? I have on some clothes. But I want to look like. Do I look like I'm naked? You're showing. You're showing a lot of skin. Show a lot of skin. You? <laughs> <laughs> I got all gussied up uh, for this. Look, I got a button down on. I was ready for this day. I can smell you. Don't you have on some Old Spice or some shit like that? <laughs> got on brute. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. <laughs> high karate do you even know anything about high karate i don't know anything about high karate right that before your time that was a i can't even go into <laughs> that was a cologne i swear ask, ask somebody over 50 about high karate they'll fall out on the floor oh that was back in the am radio days i see okay <laughs> hey don't don't fucking hate on am radio it's a lot of gangster shit going on on am radio. <laughs> They think everybody's gone, but everybody's not gone. <laughs> so let's um, let's land this plane here, because um, I know your time is extremely valuable. And we appreciate you doing this. Um, just uh, but no, 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 let do, let me do two more questions. All right, we'll do two more. Hot breath, the verse. We got two more out of Lunell. She's having fun. So do you know that hot breath is the most offensive thing? Like if you're dancing with a guy. And this hot breath is breathing down your neck. I was like, because when I heard the name of the podcast, I'm going to tell you this before. I was like, hot breath. Mm -hmm. Good Lord, who wants that? But um, you, know, but you remember it. For you you well, remember yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Patrick Simon asks, uh, well, first off, there's a lot of people thanking you for doing this, saying thanks for doing this. They're oh. giving applause emojis. Like, people are very grateful oh, for this. Oh, That's okay, great. Cool. So follow me on Instagram and and, and subscribe to my YouTube. Subscribe, show. So yeah. Thankful right there. That you, yeah. YouTube is the move. Yeah, subscribe to her YouTube and follow her on Instagram. But like, uh, yeah, yeah. And say that you heard about me on Hot Breath. I'll write you back. Yes, let her know you heard her on here, Hot Brother and Sister. And yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Patrick Simon asks, and a few yeah. people were curious about like your acting and things like that and that whole side of your career. But he asks, did you, did your stand up lead to your career in films or did you pursue them separately? Actually, my acting career came first, Hmm. believe it or not, because I, um, I started off in theater actually, which is the advice and I give people like how do I get in a minute I'm like start you know slow start in theater see can you memorize lines see do you read well aloud see what your comprehension is see can you take constructive criticism and direction without getting all in your feelings and see can you work with other people because that's what you have to do in order to make movies and work on television and if you want to start off, sorry, it's garbage day here in the hood. My garbage man, he's tearing shit up out there. Okay. Um, see, here we go. Um, but <laughs> theater is where I, I, I started. And, and I was in the Bay. And I was, uh, the first movie I did was So I Married an Ex-Murderer with Mike Myers and Anthony LaPaglia and all that. And uh, that was done in San Francisco. I wasn't even in the union yet because that was my first film. So when you see it, I wasn't even blonde yet. When you see it, the voice coming out of my mouth is not my voice. Because when they had to do OD- ADR, uh, the overdubs, you know, later, I, they didn't have to call me because I wasn't in the union. The movie that got me in the union was my second film, which was The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. And I was seven months pregnant when I did that on Alcatraz in the middle of the night. Whew. You know, I must have killed that because they wanted somebody who could improvise. They had to shoot the next, they had to shoot on Monday. This was a Thursday. And they wanted somebody that they didn't have to write for just for a little part. I mean, for somebody to get hired seven months pregnant, they either they either, they either thought I was fat, which I'm a little chubby, or they just didn't pay any attention or I disguised it well with my oversized Adidas tracksuit. Mm. But um, uh, 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 that, when I got cast in The Rock, I was on a Thursday. I had until Monday to join the union. And to join the union at that time was $1,086.53 back in 1995. And so I went to three club owners in Oakland, Jeffrey from Jeffrey's Inner Circle, Jimmy from Sweet Jimmy's and Chuck Johnson from the Sobe Television Network. And I got like 500 from each and we ran across them, San Francisco Bay Bridge and got into San Francisco and got to the SAG office on Friday at 445. Cause they said, if I did not join SAG by Friday, I would not be able to step on the set on Monday. So anyway, I had done those two films before I ever moved to LA 
and LA is actually where my comedy career started, but I ended up moving back to Oakland and that's where my comedy career uh, marinated and got seasoned. Mm. And have a lot of acting gigs come from people knowing your stand-up or are they still kind of mutually exclusive worlds? Say that again because you cut out for just a minute. Can you ask me that? Yeah. Has a lot of your acting work come from people knowing your stand-up comedy or more from knowing your acting? A lot of gigs have come from them knowing my stand-up reputation. Mm. Because when you're a good stand-up and they hire you, they're hiring you because they know that whatever they have written on paper, you're going to be able to bring more to it in every single take or they know that they don't really have to write for you they can just tell you the bullet points they want you to hit and if you're intelligent you have acting chops you can weave the fabric be the thread through the fabric of the of the piece and get to those bullet points and get there in a comedic way but not going too over the top you know Mm -hmm. so i would say that a lot of my uh film and television credits have come from my my acting chops but of course i have to audition for stuff too you know which i hate <laughs> well you did you said seven auditions for dolomite right yeah but i really wanted that motherfucker boy yeah yeah i understand eddie shit yeah like eddie i'd have done that i'd have you know i'd have done anything <laughs> anything <laughs> <laughs> So the final one, and I think this is a great way to wrap it up on this show. Um, Dennis Tooley asks, uh, what is the best piece of advice someone gave you for comedy? The best piece of advice I ever got was from one of the queens of comedy, Miss Laura Hayes. She was also a staple on Comic View for many, many years. She played Martin's mother, I mean Cole's mother on Martin. And she's also from Oakland, California. This is going to sound crazy, but I'll explain why. The best piece of advice I ever, ever got was shut the fuck up and listen. That was the best advice I got. Being comics, we talk for a living and we're always running our mouth. But you will learn more if you just shut up, like get around some, you know, the comic circles, like you do comedy and then at the end of the night, everybody goes for a drink or whatever like that. Just, you know, don't feel like you have to rebuttal shit. Don't feel like you have to add to the conversation. Shut the fuck up and listen. Listen, and you will learn so much. Because obviously, if you're in a uh, circle with some OGs there, you definitely don't know as much as they are. And even if you disagree or think, you don't always have to verbalize that. So the best, and, and it was hard for me. And I, did, I didn't do it right at first. But, you know, shut the fuck up and listen. The best advice that I, I, I got and that I can give. I hear you loud and clear on that. That's that's the whole <laughs> thing of this show is just like getting to connect with comics like you and just just listen and absorb. Like it's 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 priceless. Thank you so much, Lunell. You're very welcome. I just want to say once again, um, if you guys would be so kind as to follow me on my Instagram, that's at Lunell at L U E N E L L. Tell me that you heard me on hot breath. Uh, or, or or subscribe to my YouTube channel which if you go to instagram you can just click the link in the bio and take you straight over there it's called hey lunell h-e-y-l-u-e-n-e-l-l i want to thank you for having me on again and actually you changed my mood from what it was 
before I got on here because I just been, you know, so inundated with CNN and this and that and this on Instagram and that on Instagram. It's a steady diet of, it's just a steady diet of like hate right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, comedy is the relief. Like I have every expectation that one of the busiest places, one of the hardest places to get into, one of the most packed places that we're going to have when the pandemic is under control will be the comedy clubs because people come to comedy clubs to escape. They come, it's like taking an e-pill that I don't know anything about that, but I heard. <laughs> and it's like going to the, you know, you go to a comedy club to relax and to release and to have an adult beverage and throw your head back and listen to stuff, even if it's political, if it's funny, you know, no, nobody want to get preached at after all this, you know, you want to have someplace to release yourself. I found myself on my YouTube show, you know, getting kind of deep and I had to sort of like pull myself back. Not that you can't get deep, but you have to pull yourself back because they are looking to you for escape. They are looking to you for release and relaxation. And that's what, that's what our job is, is comics. All right. Well, comics, you've heard it from the legend herself, Lunell. We're so excited to have you back on Hot Breath. Go subscribe and follow her. I will be sure to put the links in the show notes and on our YouTube video so people go oh, support. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank, thank Lunell. You, it's, 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 it's an honor to have you on here for the second time, honestly. Thank you so much. I just want to let you know I appreciate your little button, appreciate your little button down and that you look real cute this morning. Oh, thank and you. You, you know, if we ever see each other one day and throw back a couple of drinks, you know, you could probably get it. <laughs> I wouldn't embarrass myself like that. I would not even. No, no, okay, no. Well, I'm not ruining my mind. reputation oh. in this game. Oh, okay. Then. Never mind. Then. <laughs> well, I have a wife as well. But, you know, besides that, still, I don't want to. She don't care. She don't care. <laughs> She'd probably set me up with it. She'd be like, yeah, go go ruin your reputation. Yeah. I couldn't handle it. I wouldn't knock any gristle off. I know who you are with the gristle. I wouldn't. <laughs> Oh my gosh, hilarious. Ooh, Lunell, well, have I a great day. Thanks for sharing. Thank you so of much. Of course, have a you. great day. I'm glad we could boost your mood. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. Thank bye, everybody out there. I'll see you on my YouTube channel. Yes, hey, Lunell. That's right, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Wow. There it is, Hot Breath of Verse. Lunell talking that comedy game like only she can. And she really does respond on social media. So if you enjoyed this episode, reach out to her and let her know that Hot Breath is ouchia, as we say. It is such an honor to have someone like Lunell on the show once, but the fact she was willing to come back on speaks volumes to not only her, but also the show and you, the listener, and what we are building here in the Hot Breathverse, which is not only a show where you learn comedy from the pros, but a comedy platform that is cultivating the next generation of great comics. So if that's something you want to be more a part of, go into the description, join our Facebook group, and start connecting with me and comics from around the world on that mission, doing daily writing clubs, monthly writing contests, feedback mics, Q&As like this one, and join us on our mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And I'll see you in there. Hot brethren and sistren, I always end these hot breath episodes by thanking my wife, Erin, for making the theme song for this show and thanking you for making all of this possible. 
So until next Monday, right here on Hot Bread. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.